Hemophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to the season finale of Anglophilia. I'm Kaylee McMahon. I'm Stephanie Callis. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Anglo Podcast. So today we're going to be talking about Catastrophe. Catastrophe tells the story of Rob Norris and Sharon Morris, two 40-ish strangers who meet and instantly hit it off while American Rob is on a business trip to London. Their chance encounter at a bar turns into a one-night stand, which turns into a week-long fling, which results in an unintended pregnancy, which leads to a relationship and puts these two relative strangers on a fast track to marriage, parenthood, and a sort of mature, settled existence they never anticipated and don't always seem to want or be ready for. Hmm. Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan created, wrote, and starred in it, and the show ran for four seasons on Channel 4 from 2015 to 2019. The series was nominated for numerous awards, winning a BAFTA for Best Comedy Writing in 2016. The show's supporting cast includes Ashley Jensen as Sharon's obnoxious frenemy Fran, Mark Bonnar as Chris, her surly, sardonic husband, Daniel LePayne as Dave, Rob's drug-addicted finance bro friend and fellow American expat, Jonathan Forbes as Sharon's weird brother Fergal, Sarah Niles as Sharon's best friend and fellow school teacher Melissa, Sita Indrani as Harita, Rob's ruthlessly pragmatic and amoral boss, and in one of her final performances, Carrie Fisher as Mia, Rob's insufferable mother. Life throws many challenges at our heroes, medical complications, alcoholism and other compulsive behavior, the death and decline of family members, as well as the more mundane challenges of parenting, workplace drama, marriage, and middle age. But with hard work and endless good humor, they manage to come out of the other side of each catastrophe relatively unscathed, and however bitterly and entertainingly they fight, they always find their way back to each other. Oh. I love that intro. Good job. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's the finale. I thought I'd bring it, you know? We switch off who intros what, and uh, yeah, I look forward (laughs) to every time it's going to be yours. Like, oh, what's she going to do? What am I going to do? How are we going to mix this up? Oh, yeah, thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Real quick, before we get into it, I just want to say that this is another show that I don't think you should listen to this episode if you haven't seen it in its entirety. Lots of spoilers lie ahead. Yes. So, yeah, I love this show. This is a show that in the U.S. is available on Amazon Prime, and I've been watching it since the first season was released like each time that a new season drops I would just binge it in the space of an afternoon and because I've been watching it from the beginning I've seen each subsequent season less than I've seen the one before it Mm -hmm. I had memorized large chunks of the first season and then there were parts of the fourth season that felt entirely new to me because I think I only watched it the one time same I find this show so incredibly charming and wonderful to me the best thing is the chemistry between the two leads not just in the acting but in the writing specifically I think that it is my favorite fictional portrayal of a romantic relationship because they are both just so well written and so funny and so specific. When I think about romance in TV and movies, it's just kind of generic. It's all sort of the cookie cutter thing. Like I think about, <laughs> I think about in Sex in the City to, you know, name a, a very generic show <laughs> that Carrie says that she feels, or no, it's not Carrie. It might be Miranda who says that she's like allergic to romance or kind of embarrassed by it. I think Carrie is too, but like the gestures of like a dozen red roses and candles by the bed, like that's all very boring. But these two, just the way that they talk to and about each other, I believe their love so much and I believe their fights so much. And it just seems like a really three-dimensional portrayal of a believable relationship. Yeah, I agree. Even though there were parts of their relationship that horrified me a little bit. As they should. (laughs) Which we can get into later. I appreciate how most episodes start and or end with just moments with the two of them. Mm -hmm. Like they're on an errand in the beginning 
beginning and in the end they're in bed and they're just kind of debriefing, bookending the episode together just as a couple. And sometimes those conversations seem very profound slash important and sometimes they're just kind of a silly little freak out or conversation you would have with your partner when Mm -hmm. a paranoid thought is keeping you up at night and then there's a little bit of an exchange and then you go to bed or then you have sex or then you put on an episode of Homeland. All Mm -hmm. of that felt very, very real to me too. (laughs) At the mention of sex in the city, it is when Carrie is dating Barishnikov, um, who is not meant to be Barishnikov in the show, but yeah, (laughs) she suddenly can't stand romance, but then all Mr. Big has to do in one of the goddamn movies is light some candles in that one scene where she's like, he totally doesn't color inside the lines or whatever. Or or, or isn't he like standing outside and there's a candle somewhere and then he kisses her? (laughs) I don't have any memory (laughs) of this. It's so stupid. And of course I thought of that because Chris Noth is in the last season of the show, which I had completely fucking forgotten. Yeah, I, I've watched season one the most as well. I think it is also legitimately my favorite, maybe. Yeah, the first season is definitely my favorite as well. And I think that each subsequent season of the show is a little bit less fun. And that's not necessarily a criticism. I don't think that it's because like, oh, the writing's gotten worse or they've jumped the shark or it's not like a, you know, like a Red Dwarf or a Peep Show season nine thing. It's just that the issues that they're facing are more serious, as does happen in life as one gets older. And like, yeah, like the the subject matter does get less fun. So it makes sense. You know, an unintended pregnancy is obviously really horrifying. But since they're making the choice to keep the baby that is a sort of fun and exciting terrible thing like she calls him after he's already gone back to america and she is in his phone as sharon parentheses london sex which stays for the whole series which i that is romantic and so he comes back and they're having this conversation about what she's going to do and then he says some little monologue and he ends with a terrible thing has happened let's make the best of it and that is absolutely what these guys do in every single situation yeah also i mean listen sharon's 40 or 42 in the first season yeah and she's out one night doing her damn thing having margaritas (laughs) in the bar ends up having sex with a guy traveling there for a week and then something just sort of happens that forces her to shake things up in her life and you know what i've been cooped up in my apartment for a couple of years had a conversation last night with a close friend about the idea of time just being snatched out from underneath us and what have we done so yeah in a way i kind of feel like if and when things are much safer if decisions are just sort of made for me here's a husband here's a baby go why the fuck not i've been through worse shit at this point (laughs) and i'm not even 42 (laughs) Yeah, that's something that sometime in the first season, I forget what the exact quote is, but Sharon's talking about how, like, usually, you know, you get to know each other over a whole courtship, but our relationship is like a fucking heart attack or a car crash. Like, it all has to happen so fast. But Stephanie, you and I were talking just a week or two ago about how being single in our mid-30s, like, how unfair it is that even if we do meet partners, we won't get to be with our partners for very long before we have kids, if we're even lucky enough to have either partners or kids. And, you know, I know that this is fiction, but it really did give me hope that a faster time timeline wouldn't necessarily be a catastrophe. I had the same exact thought. I thought like Kaylee and I were just talking about this of being forced Mm -hmm. into, you know, in the blink of an eye, we were lovers and now we are partners and you are coming with me to the gynecologist as the gynecologist gives me embarrassing bad news because I am (laughs) old. Like, and, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it didn't, 
didn't look so bad. It's a show that's, you know, it's about relationships and parenting and everything. And it doesn't paint too rosy a picture, even though, as I said, my, my experience of watching it was an overwhelmingly positive one. And I would like a relationship that is like the lead's relationship in some ways, and then definitely not in other ways. In the final season, Rob and Sharon are talking to Rob's friend, Dave, and his new baby mama. And Rob says, I feel like having kids is like strapping yourself to a Formula One race car, you know? Boom, your life is over, but not in a bad way. And then Sharon adds, yeah, you just have to take everything you ever wanted and put it in a box because you never, but yeah, it's great, you know. <laughs> it just, it does showcase that, you know, nothing's ever black and white. Things are complicated. It's possible to love your kids more than anything in the fucking world and also be a little bit sad that you had them and regret the path that they have forced you away from. 100%. I believe that my parents love me more than they love anything else in the world. And yet, you know, I have like a sort of mournful chuckle every time my dad says when your mom and I were married because he means before you guys came along and interrupted the wonderful time we were having. And it's sort of like, <laughs> yeah. well, you, you did get a lot of time to have that time, buddy. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that was what prompted our whole conversation about like, it's sad that we can't have just like 10 years of getting to know a partner before boom, kids changes everything. God, I know, man. I mean, if egg freezing were free and a little <laughs> bit more guaranteed, I'd be into it. But kind of as it is now, I'm sort of like, I don't know. I, me and needles, it ain't gonna happen. No. I'll fucking adopt if it comes to it. I don't care, but I'm not, the between the money and the pain and the it's up in the air anyway, no thank you. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's gross. I think it's a way of capitalizing on women's pain and insecurity and the unfairness of biology. Ooh. Well, yeah, I mean, when it's for profit, there is that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to start talking about some of the characters? Let's talk about Sharon. Okay, so Sharon, I didn't mention yet, but she's Irish. Mm -hmm. Very funny, very independent. I think that Rob says at some point something about how she doesn't care whether people like her. She doesn't try to be super pleasant and accommodating, but she's not mean either she just kind of is one of those women that like I think we should all aspire to be who's just presenting herself to the world like here I am take me or leave me but not in like an overly performative way that's like you know a mask or or a shell does that make sense not total mask or shell but you know like this sort of impenetrable fortress that women sometimes have to build around themselves like mm -hmm. there's one moment in the very first episode where they clearly have good banter and they clearly are having good fun sex and Rob asks her to dinner. He just says, do you want to have dinner? And she says, um, do you want to have dinner? And the way he says, yeah, that's why I asked. There is that sort of initial distrust that anything good should happen. Sure. She does have that a little bit. And that doesn't have to be based on just being an inherently pessimistic person. That can be based on experience. Oh, yeah. At one point, she has a run-in with her ex in a bookstore. Mm. And that's a very interesting thing because Sharon is a primary school teacher. She's very warm and wonderful and funny with the kids they almost universally love her and then even the one kid who was initially scared of her does come around and love her in the end but she originally wanted to be a writer and that's you know one of those dreams that she's had to put in the box because of uh, kids but I think that that dream has been in the box for even longer than that I think that dream's been in the box like for was, a while yeah. yeah it doesn't seem like she's been working towards it even before meeting Rob and having her life derailed in a in a fun and meaningful way but yeah she runs into her ex and her ex is 
is now married to this woman who has this wildly successful young adult fantasy series mm-hmm. called The Knights of Dorian. <laughs> and uh, there's, you know, obviously a lot of resentment and bitterness and jealousy and regret and shame and all those terrible feelings there. And he does seem to be flaunting his traditional sort of setup and happiness in a way that I don't like, which is probably just how we're supposed to see him, obviously, because we're supposed to be siding with her. Well, yes. You brought up that she's Irish, and so I wonder if this is a good point for us to just say we realize that this is a show written by an Irish person and an American person but god yes. damn it it takes place in London and it's cute and there are Scottish people and here we are <laughs> yeah no I mean look it was filmed and produced this was something that in our third episode which was about Father Ted we tweeted about it and some people were like um does this really count as a British comedy because it's Irish and I was like well yeah all of the main creatives involved were Irish but also it was it was filmed in Britain it is on a bunch of lists of best British comedies. The Wikipedia entry says it is a British comedy. And it was nominated for all of the, you know, British comedy awards. So yeah. I mean, obviously it takes place in London. It exists in Britain. But London is not just some random backdrop like you might get in a lot of shows or movies where it's like, oh good, there's the Space Needle. I suppose we're in Seattle. We are now going to completely do away with the concept that this takes place in Seattle. You know, <laughs> yes. there's there's all kinds of interesting things going on with Rob being an expat. And she Mm -hmm. slags off, you know, your new president. And we know who that is. And he talks about, you know, British taxes are impossible, etc. Brexit. So London, the UK, you know, it gets to kind of be a character in Mm -hmm. a way. So Yes, and it looks so beautiful. I said earlier on in this season, like, I don't really miss (laughs) going outside and being part of the world most days. But this really did make me pine for London. Because the way that it's shot, just those establishing shots of, of all of the beautiful vistas. I really like the look of this show and I really like the location a lot. Yeah, me too. Me too. So Rob, he's a a big friendly American who's I don't know. He's also super funny. And the two of them, I just love the way that they banter. It's exactly what I want, not just in a romantic partner, but in all of my friendships and familial relationships. It's just that easy back and forth. And um, he works for an ad agency and then ends up having to leave that job or being let go from that job because he has relocated to London and Mm -hmm. he's not getting enough business to support justifying having a London branch for this Boston-based company. So then he ends up working in the pharmaceutical business. He really, really hates it. and it erodes his soul and he feels like he's making all of these moral compromises and this isn't a show that takes that element of it super seriously Mm -hmm. like one of your criticisms of extras was that Andy is just so upset about how he's had to compromise his creative vision but like that is an issue that the show really takes seriously whereas this it only takes it as seriously as far as like it drives Rob who is a recovering alcoholic to drink among other factors it's uh, one of many little things that sort of pushes him over the edge but it's not like the show is about what happens when you need to compromise your values in order to support your family like it doesn't it's not dramatic in that way no not with that score (laughs) (laughs) yeah no uh, yeah this score it's such a fun very cheerful and whistly it's uh, Mm -hmm. even when things get really really bad the tone of the show never really takes it super seriously. It's primarily a comedy, even though there are alcoholism relapses and drug overdoses and pregnancies that aren't planned and then babies that arrive early. Rob, I love that he's 
such a dude, which might sound very traditional of me, but I'm owning it. He's like, <laughs> nope, I got her pregnant. I should move over and be with her and I should give her a ring and I'm going to do all of these nice things. But he's never just like up her ass in a way that makes mm-hmm. me uncomfortable. Yes. And I also love, you know, we've both mentioned the banter a few times. I love that he's never like, God, I've never met a woman who's funny like you. You're just not afraid to say things. You're so yes. special because you're a funny woman. Like, he never does any of that. And the way that he just stands up for her, he's her biggest cheerleader, but he's not her mm-hmm. doormat. And that's hot. <laughs> yeah, no, this is truly a marriage of equals in a way that we really don't get to see very often. It's just sort of totally taken for granted. It's not something that either of them ever even needs to comment on. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this is this is the egalitarian utopia that I certainly envision. And the, the thing that you said about him never being up her ass, I love that he lets her smoke when she's pregnant. I know that that might be controversial and like, you know, kids smoking isn't cool. Don't start if you haven't already. But like men and doctors and even fucking strangers are just so ready to jump down any pregnant woman's throat and be like, oh, I'm just concerned about the baby. You can't, you know, have sushi. You can't drink any wine. Like, it's really not your fucking business. And I love that Rob, even as the father of this child of, hey, you know, geriatric pregnancy, he doesn't think that it's his business to control his woman's body. And like, yes, thank you. Oh, yeah. And the ex-boyfriend judges her for having like one glass of wine at dinner, you know, because people just, I don't know, people just feel like it's very telling how when a woman is at her most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. When she is pregnant, it's like you are able to trash her even more than you already did when she was Mm -hmm. just existing in her own body. It's like, oh, you're pregnant. Should you really be eating that? Should you really be walking? Mm -hmm. Should you be sitting? Like everything you do is wrong when you're pregnant and someone's going to fucking tell you about it because because why? I I mean, we can fill in the blank. There are a million reasons (laughs) why, but I hate them all. No, it's true. Like, controlling women's bodies, even if the woman has, you know, made the morally right decision to keep the baby, or if she's, you know, forced to, then they still need to control. You know, strangers will come up to you and touch your belly on the street. Like, there, there's no boundaries, and there's just this sense of, like, pregnant women as being basically public property and, like, free to comment and to control. Ugh, it, it's a really gross thing. But yeah, I also loved what you said about how Rob never says anything like, oh, you know, you're, you're not like other girls, you can keep up to quote, you know, Fleabag's terrible ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite little exchanges is at the beginning when their tryst is coming to an end because Rob's flight is in just a few hours and so they're saying their goodbyes. He says, I want you to know that I'm going to look back on my time with you and remember you as an extraordinarily good-smelling woman with a magical ass. And you're smart, so you could even get away with being less attractive, and you'd still be fairly attractive. Which, oh my god, I want fucking anyone to say that to me. That is so great that he considers it to be something that increases your hotness points. And Mm -hmm. then she responds and says, I'll remember you as a sturdy lovemaker with a massive chin who is really kind to waiters and taxi drivers, which suggests you might actually be a good person. And again, it's that specificity of those those little things. We, we get to see their chemistry is just so instantly established within the first, like, five minutes of the show. You're yeah. really rooting for these people as individuals and as a unit. Yeah. When I showed my mom this show, I think we watched, like, four in a row. And the reason that she named for, like, needing to watch one more, she was like, they're just so sweet together. And it does kind of give you a little romantic rush to watch Mm -hmm. two people falling in love. And I feel that them being a bit older with more experiences under their belt 
also helps them, at least in the first season, not blow up on each other over things yeah. that took place in their pasts. Yeah. I mean, I thought this was fucking incredible, and maybe it's because mm. I've dated some jealous people, but mm. Sharon does kind of secretly go to a meal with that ex-boyfriend, and mm -hmm. you can tell completely that it is not about sex or, yeah. s like, residual in-loveness. It's just that mm -hmm. itch of curiosity, and maybe I need to show him that I'm a different person. Like, there's just something about needing to see an ex years after sure. the fact, and, mm -hmm. but she does choose to keep it on the low from Rob, and when she just comes clean to him later, completely, like, I gotta tell you something, and the way he goes, hey, I get it, I have a Facebook account, I just thought that <laughs> yeah. is so true and awesome and you could yeah. have taken it to a place where we could have thought oh no but is their relationship in peril now because she did a bad lying thing i love that they just went with like no these are fucking adults and the other incredible mm. thing is the reveal that rob had gotten a woman pregnant previously right. like more on purpose maybe than he did with sharon and she is starting to really fall in love with him because it upsets her that was my takeaway from that she's stalking this ex's facebook and saying things like you're not better than me and experimenting yeah. with what she would look like with bangs. Very petty, but real shit. And he just explains to her, he says, my life was so much smaller then. I worked next to Betsy for six years and then I ended up dating her. And then we were living together because it was cheaper. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. Baby started appearing in my world, so it seemed normal to try. Then she got pregnant, and in rapid succession, she miscarried. And then he <laughs> ends it with a joke, and I found out she'd been hiding her Jewishness from me. <laughs> I loved her going from this impenetrable fortress to, like, it's just driving me crazy thinking that you were once so in love with someone else that you wanted what we have, except you may have oh, yeah. wanted it more. Like, it was so relatable and, mm -hmm. ugh, very good. Yeah, I really think that this is maybe the, the most romantic TV show that I can think of. And I say that again as someone who is generally allergic to the very concept of romance. It's just, it's just two good people being good to each other and with each other. And even the way that they fight, it's so funny and it's also so believable the way that it escalates. Like in the season one finale, when they are on their honeymoon, he just starts by doing something nice by offering her a foot rub and then like offering to clip her toenails and she gets offended that he thinks that her toenails are disgusting. And then all of these feelings, it's like, it's their first really big fight that we've seen them have because again, mm -hmm. they are doing everything at like crazy speed. And so all of these feelings that they might have had sort of simmering under the surface, these resentments just explode. Yeah, not to mention they mostly just have each other. Sharon doesn't have a huge circle of friends and Rob obviously, even fewer, you know, yeah. em emigrating to a new country has no friends except <laughs> the one person that he knows is such a train wreck. The one person that he knows is a train wreck and the other person he knows is tangential like connected to freaking Sharon so it's sort of like yeah. they're just so together 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 through all of it that yeah that fight felt very organic to me. I kind of didn't remember seasons two through three but I always remembered the very last moment of each season because they would always end on some sort of cliffhanger and some sort of disastrous thing that has just happened or is maybe just about to happen. Oh yeah. I mean I think 
that another reason that the first season is the strongest is that is the premise. You know, it's about an unwanted pregnancy and, you know, these two people being thrown together as a result of that. And when I tell people who haven't seen or heard about the show what it's about, I hear myself explaining it and I'm like, this sounds like a premise that we've seen before a million times. You know, oh, a comedy about an unwanted pregnancy. It's not, that's not the hook. That's not the winning thing about the show. Mm -hmm. What makes it great is the quality of the writing and the chemistry of the two lead characters. And how many times has I'm pregnant been like a dun dun dun, this is bad and this is going to be resolved in one way or another. Like, why, why, why not make it a comedy? <laughs> That's probably yeah. more realistic anyway. If you're going to try to work <laughs> yeah. it out, like, why, you know, it could become a full-on catastrophe and, and a drama. It could have very much been that, but that is a way less interesting show. No, I agree. I think that when your subject matter gives you a choice between pursuing it as a comedy or a drama, always opt for comedy. Comedies are more fun. Yeah. Do we want to talk about some of the other characters now? Oh, yes. I'm assuming you want to talk about Chris. I would love to talk about my boyfriend, Chris, a.k.a. that man can fertilize my scotch eggs, a.k.a. that plowman's my lunch, a.k.a. one hot piece of William Wallace, a.k.a. dirty neeps and tatties, a.k.a. the man who is not from Glasgow over there and take your pants off, but is instead from come over here and take off my Edinburgh, a.k.a. Scottish <laughs> Jesus. Very nice. Dude. <laughs> I mean, look. The first that we hear from him is him being a little brat about don't watch your wife give birth because it's disgusting. And that is annoying. But I did think of Steve from Coupling. Yes, very stupid. But like, God dang it. That is that is it, bro. Mid 40s Scottish dude with that chiseled jaw and those cheekbones and gray hair just kind of being sardonic and liking Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> I am all over that. I love when he and Rob are going to kind of go on like a, for lack of a better term, like a man date. Like they're going to hang mm. out without their wives and try to be friends. And... This show does a great job of sort of throwing shade at like established creatives, whether it's mm -hmm. Coldplay or Wes Anderson. Rob mm -hmm. says, I got us tickets to the, the emancipation, emancipation of, of and Crisp. <laughs> it's the so new good. Wes Anderson. And I love how Chris just says, what else? We could see that Adam Sandler movie. It starts at 810. Let's go. <laughs> Clearly, he is your perfect partner, yeah. Mm. Chris is interesting. He's somebody who is outwardly unpleasant on the surface in a way that is sort yes. of the opposite of Rob. But Chris, you know, he's always puffing on an e-cigarette. He never smiles or very, very rarely smiles. He's got kind of an, an outwardly dour demeanor, but also, you know, with a heart of maybe not quite gold, but some precious metal that's adjacent to gold, I think. Like, he, he is a nice, good person, and he is a good friend to Rob, and he usually gives pretty good advice. We meet him when he and... It's Fran, right? Not Fern? Yes. My computer kept autocorrecting it and changing it. I'd be like, wait, no, it's not Fern, it's Fran. Like, why do you keep <laughs> wanting to change it, you fucking asshole? Weird. Um, we meet them at a time where they are having some marital troubles. Mm -hmm. They've just sort of drifted apart and they're not having sex and they are unhappy. So we also meet them at kind of an interesting point in their relationship yeah. and we do get to sort of follow that one. Not like every episode, mm -hmm. but that is kind of like the other like primary relationship in the show. Yeah, they're like the secondary sort of foil couple. Um, Fran is interesting. I mean, I, I love Ashley Jensen so much and I think that she, she's one of those actresses where she's not like she's not doing something totally different than what she did with Maggie and extras, but you just completely buy her 
as this entirely different person. Yeah. She's, you know, very uptight and controlling. She's obnoxious. She is a stage mother. She has a teenage son mm. who is a child actor and she's constantly name dropping and talking about, oh, we were on set with so-and-so and like, she was a bit of a diva and he was just a lovely man and like gets a high from flaunting that status that it gives her. Fran gets one of the other like best celebrity diss lines in the show talking about her prized little boy who's an actor, Jeffrey. He's just wrapped on the new Woody Allen movie and she gets the line, Robert Duvall and Emma Watson play star-crossed lovers in Vienna. Which I hope that Sharon and Rob just like howled and high-fived each other when they came up with shit like that because this was when Woody Allen was still like making movies at a very regular pace Mm -hmm. and they were all taking place somewhere in Europe where he got the just like wax rhapsodic about like the genius of Europeans (laughs) which just kind of read more clannish to me as the years went on and then of course with the famous pairings of of older men and younger women like what a great two names to choose oh yeah like there's no way to improve upon some of these very specific jokes that they wrote about actual hollywood bullshit but yeah fran and chris's relationship is an interesting one i don't understand how they first got together i don't really see what either of them would see in the other i guess it's just one of those things where like opposites attract and that's all that you need to know but I don't really get it and I also don't really get why she and Sharon are friends is is it ever explained how they met each other I don't believe that it is no in fact the first time we see Fran Sharon's like nervous that she's going to be spotted by Fran she's like oh no 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 not her. So yeah, we, we don't really learn why they know each other in the first place. Mm-hmm. And we really don't learn why. Well, I mean, the answer is because it's a TV show. But like they, <laughs> yeah. they have that one meeting. And from then on, Fran and Chris are regular fixtures in Sharon's life again. <laughs> yeah. Fran is just one of those people who can really only think about herself. Like some of the the most revealing behaviors of hers happen when Sharon's dad has died. And Mm. at the funeral, like in the car with the grieving family, she's sobbing because her boyfriend has just ghosted her. And, mm-hmm. and then she also offers her condolence to Sharon's mom as a widow, being like, you know, I know that it hurts now, but it'll get easier with time. When I lost Chris, and it's like, you made the choice to divorce Chris, and who is also standing three feet from you? Like, it's not fucking the same thing. But just that obliviousness, that sense that everyone needs to hear what I am thinking at any given time, and that my pain matters the most out of anyone's pain, we all know at least one person like that and she is exhausting in a slightly more innocuous but still annoying way when she sings that song at their city hall sort of style Mm -hmm. wedding but she still finds that moment to get all eyes on her and sing some embarrassing song oh yeah she is that person Mm -hmm. and yeah i like that you said she's not necessarily doing something in her performance that's terribly different from maggie but maggie we've talked about like i want her wardrobe Mm -hmm. maggie is a fun person but you know fran's always in like some white turtleneck sweater and she's got those bangs and the side part and she also doesn't smile very often and you brought up you don't know what brought them together Mm -hmm. and I don't either, but I feel like I've seen older married couples that I kind of feel the same way about, right? Like you kind of wonder what people were like when they were younger and if things were ever great or if it was kind of like what Rob describes with his ex-girlfriend Betsy. Mm -hmm. Like my world was small and we worked together and 
things just kind of started happening for other couples and I followed suit and here we are. Yeah. You brought up Steve from Coupling. And in a way, this show doesn't remind me of Coupling, but it seems sort of like a more accurate take on, you know, the differences between guys and gals mm-hmm. and what happens when they get together and the conversations you have with your friends mm. about what's going right and what's going wrong, except even though it is still a TV show and for as realistic as a lot of this dialogue and these situations are, it's still going to be zanier than real life, yeah. but it never goes full on, I'm flashing a group of people in a restaurant <laughs> and now we're going to be best friends forever. <laughs> you know, some of it kind of reminded yeah. me of like, this is different, but like more successful sex comedy. I get you. It's more nuanced, obviously, and and smart and mature than Coupling, but it does sort of occupy a bit of the same, like, heightened fantasy world a little bit, Mm -hmm. even though, obviously, a lot more bad shit is allowed to happen in this universe than in the Coupling universe. Yeah. Speaking of heightened fantasy world, there is Dave, who I definitely want to talk about. Yeah, let's move on to Dave. Go for it. Is he in his own show or what? (laughs) I, I will say, Dave Dave is is my least favorite of these recurring characters just because I just I just don't really care about any of the stuff that's going on with him. He's kind of you're I think that he is kind of in his own show. Everybody else is like dealing with mostly, you know, interpersonal like romantic relationships and things. And he's, you know, he's addicted to drugs and then he overdoses and he's in a coma and then he comes out of the coma and then he gets a girl pregnant. And he's just he's one of those exhausting people who you become friends with sort of out of necessity, I guess, because this is the one person that Rob knows in London besides Sharon. But like, I don't think that they ever would have talked to each other again if Rob hadn't been forced to move to London. And I wouldn't blame him because like, what does Dave bring to the equation? No, no. And the only scenes that I kind of found completely unbelievable were when like, Rob and Dave and Chris would be at a restaurant together. And I'd be thinking, no, like on what planet would Chris ever want to do this? I think um, I think the planet where he enjoys watching the chaos. Like I could I could see Chris as being like, I'd be up for being entertained by watching a weird train wreck and just silently maybe judging that's while I puff on my e-cig. Yeah, of course. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's true. But yeah, like Dave, you know, all the things you just listed. And then we see him for the very last time in, in the penultimate episode. And it's just bad. His girlfriend is like gonna leave him with the baby because he's a mess. Yeah. The end. It's a weird, yeah. I mean, this is nothing against the writers who I think are brilliant or the actor who plays him. Like, they all they all did a fine job. It's just that Dave is the person that I am least invested in in this universe. I like him the least as a character and as a person. Like, I just, I just don't enjoy watching what sort of trouble Dave is going to get into because he's so over the top. He's such a cartoonish frat guy dude in the first season. And it's bad enough when he's just being that sort of shitty masculine shoulder devil to Rob, who, you know, obviously Rob isn't necessarily persuaded by it. I think that Dave does serve an interesting function in the first couple of seasons, but then he doesn't really by the end. And he just sort of, I guess, I guess Dave sort of does a little miniature shark jump of his own in a way but I still wouldn't think that it's such a small part of the show that I don't think that the show does a shark jump no but that's what makes it noticeable no absolutely but Dave is sort of like something that we've talked about before on this podcast he represents like a more heightened version of Rob in the sense that he also has chemical dependency issues sort of like how Sharon I I wouldn't go so far as to use the term sex addict but like she can she was definitely a little bit slutty in her past and can struggle with these sort of compulsive behaviors 
behaviors. And so there's Dave for Rob, and then there's Kate, Sharon's Irish best friend and like maid of honor who they have like a wild bachelorette night out and she ends up, you know, getting completely drunk and going with a stranger on a boat and stuff like that. Those two characters sort of represent the dangers of the paths that the two leads could take if they gave in to their baser impulses. Mm -hmm. And there is a moment in season two where Sharon does kick Rob out and Rob has to stay with Dave who is just in a crazy drugged out phase and that's obviously not a safe environment for a recovering alcoholic to be in. Rob has the good sense to realize that and to leave, but then he fucking goes to a hotel and drinks a little mini thing of, I don't know, vodka or something from the mini bar. So yeah, I think that I think that Dave does serve an interesting function in that way, but then they take him in a completely different direction where it's like he's outgrown his original use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Season one, Dave seems to exist to say some pretty shocking but funny things mm -hmm. i did laugh very hard at the stupid scene where he is telling rob that he has discovered a massage parlor <laughs> where they will massage your prostate to completion <laughs> and he's trying to convince rob to do it and rob's not being a dick about it but he's just like conveying that he couldn't be any less interested and fucking dave goes before you say anything it's not gay. <laughs> and Rob says, that's like eighth on the list of why I don't want to do it. <laughs> and Dave is still trying to like get him to come along. And he says, my dad died a few weeks ago, etc. Your dad died, etc. <laughs> Look, I don't really want to talk about it. Just come and get your butt fucked with me. <laughs> Dumb, but I screeched. That, that is peak Dave. I will I will absolutely give you that. And you know, I guess like props to the writers for trying to make him more than just a one-note character who only does that for the whole four-season run, because that could get a little bit exhausting. And it's believable that as he matures, he would change in some ways. Yeah. But yeah, I like that Rob, in dealing with Dave, shrugs him off and politely says no to these <laughs> bizarre suggestions of Dave's. But he, he doesn't do it judgmentally. He doesn't go off on a tirade like Steve from Company, where he's like, what? Why would I want my prostate to massage? It's nothing like that. Rob is a very, Rob's a very good friend, I think. Kaylee, we talked at the top before we started recording about how you'd find some way to sneak Stephen Sondheim into the episode. Oh, no. You meant coupling, but you said company. Did I? Oh my God, did I? Oh no. Oh guys, that's, wow. Yeah, so so um, we're recording this on the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, two days ago, my beloved idol, Stephen Sondheim, passed away at the ripe old age of 91. You know, he, he lived a, a great life. It is not really a tragedy on paper, but it is a tremendous loss. And uh, this this is the big one. This is the celebrity death that I have been anticipating with mortal dread for probably like 20 years. And I'm pretty fucking devastated right now, like most people that I know. I, I, was, I, I didn't want to go down this road, but yeah, my, my unconscious brain just had to... Oh boy. Anyway. <laughs> That's okay. Anyway, yeah. I just I just wanted to point that out to you. <laughs> you said Steve from Company and my heart broke a little bit. Oh no. <laughs> well, anyway. I guess this is getting back to Sharon and Rob. Not only does Sharon choose to occasionally drink during pregnancy and she does smoke one cigarette, mm -hmm. but she does like never try to temper her own sort of, I don't want to say dependence, but like her extreme enjoyment of alcohol. And I don't know what it would be like to necessarily be the partner or spouse of someone who has, you know, quit drinking mm. or doing any said thing and you continue to do it. 
But they do have a necessary sort of fight about it where Rob, I don't remember if he's actually started drinking or not, but he does make some kind of reference to like, maybe I should start drinking again. Mm. And when she says, why would you do that? You can't do that. He says to fucking keep up with you and the rest of your family. Mm. And it is sort of undeniable that like they're in a sort of drinking culture and there is one horrible dinner where they're fighting and Sharon orders a second bottle of Pinot Grigio <laughs> for herself, yeah. which which is like, ooh, that's a that's a move. And so by the time he does kind of start drinking, I am not saying that it is her or anybody else's like unique fault. Yeah. But you can kind of see it coming from a mile away. Like this poor guy is surrounded by alcohol. Oh, yeah. Whether it is in the culture or at his job where they have those mm-hmm. like monthly parties or in his own goddamn house. No, I think that you're right. It's not that it's her fault, but all of the circumstances are absolutely conducive to this happening it's almost inevitable a note about like chris being a good friend to rob when rob first tells chris that he has been drinking again chris is very much like you you told me when we first met that you don't drink and that you have a problem with drinking and i you know listened to you and believe you so like don't stop fucking drinking and he's uh just sort of giving him some tough love and then he walks away and rob walks after him and he stumbles and falls down he says like oh i just tripped on the sidewalk it's nothing but then you know he's he's sitting down on the pavement and then Chris just quietly sits down with him on the pavement and it's just this beautiful little moment of like no judgment he'll sit down and and meet you at your level and just like be in the shit with you for a while while you figure it out yeah Chris just smells the alcohol on Rob he promises I'm not gonna tell Sharon someone will though maybe a good idea if it was you Mm -hmm. which I I liked that was like a dark night of the soul episode for Rob you see him cheekily sort of sneaking drinks and he's never falling over or anything and you even sort of forget about it for minutes or like half an episode at a time Mm -hmm. But he's out of a job. So he's going on these interviews like a diligent person looking for a job. And one interviewer full on says, like, you smell of alcohol. And then it sort of reminds you like, oh, Rob should not be doing this. He does go back to the pharmaceutical company where he is unhappy. And they're having like one of those corporate equivalents of like a bagel Friday. (laughs) They have like a giant bash with tacos and an open bar and and yada yada. And Rob comes home schmammered and greets the babysitter who I love. (laughs) And he just like passes out on the couch. And as she's leaving, she hears their one-year-old start crying and she can't face it and she comes back in and she sleeps on the floor next to the baby and Rob realizes what he's done the next day because she's still there and he goes to apologize to her and I love that she's just like no seriously fuck you I missed a date last night because of you and there's that text that says guess what's going way up your asshole tonight with like three tongue emojis (laughs) yeah oh I love the babysitter this show is kind of like with Chris it's just populated with good people who are not nice or pleasant she's very gruff but she does the right thing Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about Rob's boss Harita Mm -hmm. she's a very interesting example of something that we talked about with Susan Henney in our last episode as like a corporate woman who is kind of like I said ruthlessly pragmatic and amoral because of what her job requires her to be and she's a woman of color but she's definitely not she's one of those like hashtag not a feminist 
women, you know, not really an ally. Like in season two, there's this whole arc where this hot new French woman joins the company and there's this little sort of flirtation that happens. And then she actually sexually harasses Rob by saying that she wants to suck his cock until he passes out. But then later on when he refuses her advances, then she reports him to HR and sort of twists some words that he did say, but in a different context to make it sound like he was entirely coming on to her without any provocation. And so he ends up using this basically as an excuse to resign from a job where he was already very unhappy. And then Harita tries to court him back and does eventually when he can't get a job anywhere else. And he says, you know, I didn't do it right. And she just says, it doesn't matter to me. And he says, it doesn't matter to you. And she says, what you bring to the company is more important than whether or not you tried to fuck a very fuckable coworker. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> she's, she's really only concerned with the bottom line. And uh, yeah, capitalism is patriarchy's best friend and enabler. <laughs> yeah, well, it took me a minute to catch on to why people were criticizing this sort of hashtag girl boss mm. movement. Maybe movement is not the word. Maybe it's just a fucking hashtag. But yeah, it's the sort of like capitalist, like pop version of feminism that is just the same as the fucking status quo, except you happen to wear a pantsuit or a skirt to work, mm -hmm. but you still are a ruthless corporatist yeah and i'm sorry but i don't give a fuck that you're a woman if that's what you are yeah no 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 i believe yeah. in collectivism and i don't think that it counts as feminism like fucking ivanka trump is not a feminist sarah palin is not a feminist and i've seen people hold those two examples as like the problem with white feminism and i was like mm -mm, no i mean yes white feminism does need to be criticized and examined and there are legitimate complaints around it but they're not you, you can't be a white feminist if you're not a feminist they're just white women who happen to mm. be all too happy to sell out all their sisters of all colors just for the sake of their own advancement yes and uh yeah it's unfortunate but like no woman ever went broke being a a fucking shill for the patriarchy. <laughs> I know. And yet, you know, it still does not insulate them from misogyny. Absolutely. Which that's is the, that's so the weird part. endlessly exhausting. It's, it's like, I hate that I'm taking Sarah Palin's side because Bill Maher called her a cunt. Yeah. But it's like, I'll punch you in the face. I hate this woman. I'll punch her next. But <laughs> I'll punch you. You're not yeah. allowed to say that. No, no, no. You're a cunt, Bill Maher. It's true. Oh. It's true. And Harita also, we mentioned Chris Noth towards the top of the show. And he only appears oh. in, I think, one episode. But he mm -hmm. is her boss and he's thinking about firing her and offering Rob her job because he's such a he's so clearly a misogynist from like minute one. And it's one of those things mm -hmm. where he doesn't necessarily say anything explicit or anything that could get him in trouble legally. But it's so obvious that he just instantly hates her because Harita, you know, in addition to being very focused, very driven, very no nonsense, she, she's pretty humorless. And like, that's fine. That's not what she brings to the table. But he immediately hates her because she's a woman and because she can't joke around like one of the boys. And so he, he meets Rob and they have a little bit of banter. And Chris Noth is like really, really wildly entertained by it, invites him to a dinner with the wives. And then Harita hears about this and sort of invites herself along. But it's just like, he's consciously trying to cut her out. He even leaves in the middle of her sentence during a meeting and then like goes around and says goodbye to like all of the men at the table it's uh, it fucking sucks man yeah and i can't believe i completely forgot that he was in the show <laughs> oh he serves his purpose he's kind of great and mm -hmm. i do love how you know sharon is invited on this like double date with you know the wifeys mm -hmm. and the two fucking businessmen and 
I do love that she just says to Rob, like, you were like a one-man laugh track for every stupid joke that mm-hmm. he made about Harita. Yeah. And she says, like, I'm sick of fucking men just, you're just scratching your balls or, or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. something like that, which, who isn't? <laughs> yeah. Especially even in a show where, yes, there are moments of petty misogyny around, you know, oh, don't watch your wife giving birth or, <laughs> you know, whatever weird thing I'm sure Dave says that I missed. <laughs> there aren't, like, pervasively toxic misogyny misogynist men that they kind of run into are there did am i forgetting somebody no i don't think so it's just it's the sort of believably creepy but deniable like the episode where chris noth appears is the same episode where sharon gets a new boss she's had a headmistress that she's been working under and now she's got a headmaster who's creepy and makes sharon uncomfortable and like comments on how flattering her blouse is and things like that And, and it's just yeah, you can you can tell. You develop a sixth sense for these sorts of things, even if what they say, like, on a transcript isn't anything actionable. You fucking know. Yeah, there's a different mood with these, these fellas. True. I don't like them. Do you want to talk about Mia, Rob's mother? You know what? During that last episode where she dies, mm. I'm going to jump straight to that, I guess. Um, I was thinking, like, it's very interesting that they made Sharon and Mia not friends. I feel like they could have been compadres. They're both, to appropriate a term, nasty women in a way that I like. (laughs) But it was interesting how they just went with like Mia being unsupportive of the whole thing and telling Rob in early phone calls, like, you can still come home. You don't have to do this. (laughs) I was talking to my friend who's a lawyer. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's very unsupportive. She seems really deeply uninterested in Sharon, but also in Rob, like in in her own son and his his life. And, you know, the fact that he's got this baby, like he she's saying, you know, it's it's a foreign baby. And he's like, no, actually, it's your grandkid. <laughs> like, it's she's just really, baby, yes. she's an interesting character. She's a very unlikable person that I do love to watch and end up having uh-huh. an affection for. But, you know, she she's addicted yeah. to eBay. All she ever does is try to bid on, like, these weird figurines. She mostly just appears over phone calls because she's still in Boston. Occasionally, like, she, she comes over for a visit. But, you know, she, she's not present for her son's wedding she doesn't meet the grandkids until, you know, they're... Does she? I mean, we, we only... There's a time jump, obviously, where Sharon is pregnant with her first kid, and then in the season premiere of the next season, she's just giving birth to her to her second, so I'm not sure. Right. In that second season, though, Rob and Sharon do have people over to sort of meet the baby and everything, and Mia is there. She's been there for a week, not really helping with anything, sort of driving everybody crazy and being scary. Yeah. But is that the first time she's also met Frankie? Maybe that's what you're saying. That's what I'm asking. I don't know if there's, if in the intervening two or three years, if she has met Frankie, but she's, you know, she doesn't seem particularly interested in, in him. But, like, she's also, like everybody on this show, she's not a cartoon monster, because as unlikable as she is and as much of an unsupportive, you know, quote-unquote bad mother as she is, she does have a couple of really good moments. Like, when Rob confesses to her that he's been drinking again, and she, like Chris, gives him some no-nonsense tough love. Like, why the hell would you do that? That's a terrible idea. And uh, did you know that, you know, you're... 
your father hit me. Like, what was the what was the exact quote? You know how my jaw always clicks when I eat steak? It's because your father broke it. If you ever hit Sharon, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah, that was a really great moment. That It kind of made me think, like, is this her one point of being a good mother that we ever see? Even though, you know, she, she's threatening to kill her own son, but, like, for the right reasons. Yeah. No, I thought it was a good scene, and I kind of feel like, I mean, my mother's never threatened me to my face to fucking kill me, but I would have no problem with her threat my brothers if you ever punch your wife in the face I'll yeah, fucking kill yeah you. I mean she doesn't seem like something she'd say but I, I get why a woman would say yeah. that yeah and then he also says like why didn't you ever tell me that and she's like I didn't think that it was important to tell my son that his daddy had you know hit his mommy or whatever and like put her in the hospital and you know I think that probably she did take a lot of abuse and shielded Rob from the reality of that like a lot of times women in abusive relationships are forced to be and are you know sometimes successful at being a buffer between the abusive man and the children and I think that you mm-hmm. know there's a lot going on behind the scenes in that relationship that obviously ended long before the show takes place and that we don't get to see in the you know six episodes in which Mia appears but yeah I think that there is a sort of bravery to that she's clearly had a harder life than either of the two main characters and uh, I admire mm-hmm. her for that moment absolutely me too also I do admire Sharon in in the first fight, which I think might be the first phone call she has with Mia. Mm. And I mean, not that I think it's cool to like fight with people who have had really difficult to like abusive, you know, experiences. <laughs> but this also goes with Sharon not being a kid, mm. which I think, I think you're a kid, like until you are either 40 or you are pregnant. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, Sharon calls Rob's mom and Rob's mom is able to just very casually say that she can't come to the wedding. And then she's the one who refers to Rob's ex, Betsy, mm-hmm. who miscarried. And you know that it's on purpose and it's just for the sake of kind of being a vindictive dickhead. <laughs> and I love that Sharon is no wimp. Like, she goes ahead and rescinds the invite and calls her insensitive for bringing up miscarriages while she's fucking pregnant. Yeah. And she tells Rob later, I might have insulted your mom on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I love that Rob just says, tell me how, because I want to do a different, more hurtful (laughs) insult when I call her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just not being a wimp. Like, some boyfriend's moms have said some shitty things to me. And looking back on my younger self, I can understand why I said and did absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. But when I replay those moments in my head... 34-year-old Steph swoops in and just, like, becomes a human shield for younger Steph Mm -hmm. and fucking, like, advocates for her. I don't know. I can't say I regret never telling anybody, go fuck yourself, how dare you? But it's like, go ahead and do it. (laughs) A note, though, on TV shows and movies where there are kids. It's not like a criticism of, you know, you you failed, but it is sort of like, I would have liked to have gotten to know Frankie a little bit more because I feel like with parents like those and also with him being a firstborn Mm -hmm. with that individualized attention, I feel like he would have been a little fucking motor mouth. Like when we first finally kind of see him in his high chair, Mm -hmm. just sort of quietly eating while Sharon and Rob are talking, I did kind of think, no, what kid just sits there quietly? Quietly yeah, eating. I had the exact same criticism, actually, and I was going to bring that up. Yeah, it, pretty much my, my only real complaint about the show that I see as a flaw is the fact that the children, particularly Frankie, obviously, who would be the verbal one, 
are not really real characters. And that's something that like most shows where the focus is on the parents, they fall into that trap. I think the one example that I can think of that contradicts that is 30 something, where we do get to know the kid Ethan, who's like maybe seven. I forget exactly how old Ethan grows during those four seasons. But yeah, like these two people, I made the note, they're so cool. Their kids would be so cool. Wait, we see their kids. Why aren't their kids cool? And they're also, you know, in real life, they're both parents. And like, I, I watched Rob Delaney's comedy special yesterday, and he relates some really funny anecdotes about his boys. And like, kids say the weirdest fucking shit. And I'm not saying that Frankie needed to be like an overly precocious, sassy, wisecracking, like, what you talking about, Willis sitcom character. But like, realistically, he would be saying at least one really funny, weird thing with parents that are that cool and that specific. Oh, yeah, that that kid would be saying the word fuck. No question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there are shows that do it way worse. And then there are shows that are, I mean, Mad Men is one of the most incredibly written shows ever. Uh, fight me. That is the hill I will die on. I don't think anyone would kill you on that hill. And it begins with two young kids and we get to know Bobby and Sally very yeah. well. And in season three, baby Jean is born. And I don't think that child ever says a fucking word, yeah. which is excusable for the first few years. But by the end, he's like five mm. and he's in the same room as Bobby and Sally and it's like I just watched some videos of me and my brothers when we were similar ages or not not similar yeah. but like you're all making noise like why couldn't they have written a little bit of dialogue for baby Jean <laughs> so yeah. yeah justice for baby Jean and Mwerin and Frankie and Mwerin dude would Sharon actually name a kid with a name that vaguely rhymes with hers she's already embarrassed by Morris and Norm <laughs> Would she not have thought of Sharon and Moirin? Oh, I don't know. At least it doesn't rhyme. She didn't name it Doris. <laughs> Doris Morris okay, Norris. That's true. That'd be pretty bad. Is Moirin that hard to say? Maybe I'm saying it wrong. I don't know. I mean, maybe if you see it spelled out, it would be hard for like a teacher. I mean, I say this as someone with a very easily phonetically spelled name, but I've had my name butchered my whole life by people who are reading it. So yeah, the way that it's spelled probably. But yeah, if you hear it, it's pretty easy. Moirin. Well, Moirin isn't weirder than Fergal. Yeah, although Fergal... Yeah, <laughs> it's it's easy. Like you, there's no other way to pronounce it. You wouldn't say Fergal or Fergal, right? Maybe your autocorrect would change it to Fern, but other than that, or Frugal. That's true. Fraggle. Fraggle. I'm not sure if we want to rush to this, but what do you make of the ending of the show? It's not my favorite episode. I yeah. don't think it's one of the great finales of a show. When I said the ending, I specifically meant the final shot. Oh. Of them in the ocean. Do you think that they're gonna die or live? Oh, that never crossed my mind. I hope they don't die. Oh, okay. See, that was something that when I watched it, you know, it's one of those ambiguous sort of open endings where it's like, it could kind of maybe go either way. It's like a Sopranos kind of ending. But my mom saw it and she was like, oh, I'm sure that they die. So, so basically at the end, Sharon decides that she wants to go for a little dip in the ocean while the kids are asleep in the car before they leave. Rob watches her, you know, take off her dress and go swimming in her undies and then he turns around and sees this 
sign that says, caution, riptides, no swimming. And then he says, Sharon, but she's too far out and can't hear him. So then he takes off his shirt and pants and joins her. They have this joyous little moment in the ocean and they kiss. And then you see them swimming back to shore, but they're just staying there. They're not moving. And so my mom was like, yeah, they're they're not moving. And I was like, that's, that's such a dark interpretation, though, because that means that their kids are going to fucking die in the car. And I don't think that this yeah. is that show. But also, I don't know. I, I found the final image of it to be like really kind of haunting because I, I had that in my mind going in watching it this time. And um, you know, at the end of every single season, it ends on a cliffhanger note where you're not necessarily sure how things are going to pan out. Like season three, Rob gets in an accident drunk driving and end of season one, Frankie is coming way too soon. They've always managed to make it to the next season and, and things turn out fine, but uh, there is no next season this time. So I don't know. Interesting point. If it weren't for the kids I would wonder a little bit more about the death it just seems sort of like how nothing can stay good for this couple for very long yeah. to the point of obviously like comedy yeah huh god damn it I mean well but my mom also says like it's in the title of the show catastrophe and I was like if the whole premise of this show was that th this older couple accidentally gets pregnant and decides to like have a life together and raise their kids and then they drown and their children die of like starvation or getting cooked in a car that is way that is way dark man it actually it reminds me See, yeah, it's a comedy. So, of course, my interpretation is that they end up being fine. Yeah. But if you choose to look at the glass as half empty or entirely empty in this case, you, you could make that argument. But it makes me think of when I was in college, I took a class on Shakespeare's tragedies. And we were having this lively debate about whether or not Romeo and Juliet were really genuinely in love or whether they were just a bunch of dumb, horny, <laughs> a bunch of two horny, dumb teenagers. And someone who was in, you know, team true love said, I have to believe that they were truly in love because if they weren't really in love, then it would be so unfathomably tragic the way things turned out. And then someone under her breath just said, it's a tragedy. And I have always yeah. remembered that. But yeah, this is this is not a tragedy. So I'm sure I'm sure that they're fine. I'll take another look at it. But if what your mom is looking at makes her kind of go, what? There's nothing ambiguous about this. Like, this is what I see. <laughs> I think that's what good art will do yeah. is like create disagreements about these things that can be interpreted one way or another. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that was like on purpose. But, you know, Romeo, we learned from the very beginning is that he's like always brokenhearted over somebody mm -hmm. like it's well seated <laughs> whereas this would be like and now they're gonna die and their kids are gonna cook like at least establish not the kids are asleep in the car but the kids are being babysat by their aunt then i would kind of go ooh, maybe <laughs> maybe they died and they're gonna just kind of grow up in boston and that's what's up you know the romeo thing and about like oh yeah he's always heartbroken about someone else and he, he turns on dime forgets rosalind pretty quickly but um <laughs> but my teacher i think made an argument where he said romeo it, he's not saying oh man if i can't have sex with her i'm gonna have to go jerk off or something he's saying if i can't touch her I will die so you know there's that god dang now I'm only thinking of young Leonardo with his hair at his face 
Oh, oh. I, I'm thinking about Leonard Whiting and his butt. Mm. Now I'm thinking of Olivia Hussey and her boobs. Oh, Olivia Hussey. She's so gorgeous. I think she's the most Best beautiful boobs. woman who ever lived. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of, of beauty uh, and butts, do we want to do a fuck, Mary kill? Oh, I mean, if we're doing the three main guys, I know your answer and you know mine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We both kill Dave for very obvious reasons. And then you fuck my husband and I fuck yours, right? High five. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Way too easy. Do we want to do one with the women or is that, are there not enough? I don't know who we'd include. I mean, there there aren't enough women that we get to know beyond Sharon and Fran, right? Like we don't get to know her best friend at work very well. Yeah. we don't, yeah, we don't yeah. get to know Melissa very well. We only see Kate for a couple of episodes. That is something that you had alluded to earlier, which is how small Sharon's world is, considering that she does live in London and has lived there for presumably most of her adult life. Sort of realistic, though. You're getting older. Maybe your closest friends are the people who are just kind of your work friends. Yeah. And you've got that one crazy friend from college. And she had been with that ex-boyfriend for years. I don't remember if they hadn't seen each other in six years or if they were together for six years. And that can kind of eat up your whole goddamn world world if you're not careful that's true so it does sort of make sense even though i would have liked her to have a bigger support system yeah because caring for kids full time and we already discussed how you know when you're pregnant people are like oh no did you see that pregnant woman eating brie (laughs) and then you're a mom and there are other things you're somehow just never allowed to do again you're a mom and you're not allowed to go out for margaritas Mm -hmm. you're a mom and you're not allowed to hire a babysitter for like a weekend as opposed to a few hours you're a mom and you're not allowed to do you know all these other things and it must be like very claustrophobic and I appreciated that they did attempt in that second season to show like obviously Sharon loves her children but she's pissed off at herself that she's not over the moon that she gets to just spend all goddamn day and night with her children as with pretty much everything on this show these are mostly relationships just sort of born of circumstances because you're stuck with your family or with your in-laws or with the people that you happen to have met along the way or the people that you work with and then that's kind of who you have to stick with because what else is there and it's really lucky that Sharon and Rob got pregnant because they are two people who are so perfectly suited to each other and if they hadn't had this baby as a reason to bring them back together I don't think that they ever would have seen each other again unless you know Rob happened to be in London again like a few years later or whatever and they were both still single but um I did want to read a quote. I wanted to share his wedding vows, which are great. I could not find this clip online, so you'll have to excuse me. The sound quality is going to be really shitty, but I thought it was better to have Rob Delaney read it than me. I never thought it would happen this way. I mean, I wouldn't have ordered this if it were on the menu, but there was no menu. It was like one of those restaurants where the chef just decides what you're going to eat. And it's scary because what if you get like a pheasant filled with capers? But then he brings you something unbelievably delicious and you realize he knows better than you could ever know. And you never want to go to any other restaurant ever again. Fuck menus. Wow, that's that's the finale of our season, isn't it? Yeah. It only took us a very long time, but we did it. <laughs> Thank you all for being so endlessly patient with us as it's taken us a long time to get back on our feet during unprecedented historic times. And uh, we hope that we've been able to keep you some company as you sort through your own 
traumatic circumstances, whatever they may be. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. If you have not already, please go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. We promise it does not have to be a very long review at all. Go ahead and write Steph and Kaylee Rock, and uh, that's all it really takes to uh, bump us up in the evil freaking Apple algorithm. Um, <laughs> so please, if you've listened to this season and you're still listening, go ahead and do that. We would appreciate that very much. We are on Patreon. If you do have a couple bucks to spare that you want to throw at an independently produced show do it and if not we also completely understand that save that money for something else you're going to need masks hand sanitizer cans of beans your unexpected baby <laughs>